So Brett, on this week's episode, it sounds like you've got somebody uh, who is definitely not a stranger to your interview process. He's just been helping you out more than being the focal point, huh? Oh yeah, Jim Farmer. He, you know, he's the one who set me up to go talk to Clay Henderson, and uh, then he joined me when when I went over there and talked to Mike Root and. Jim, somebody that I met him, I guess, at a coffee shop there in, in uh, oh, San Antonio, New Mexico. And uh, shoot, we've, we talk on the phone, I bet, at least once a week, but probably most of the time twice a week. So, and I, and I you know, and I told him, I said, Jim, I said, I, I'd like to interview you. Or I'd like to sit down and talk to you and record it for a podcast. Oh, he said, I don't have anything to say that anybody wants to hear, you know, typical. And typical, finally, yeah. I, Finally, I talked him into it. I said, well, just, you know, we'll go up there and we'll just, I'll go up there and we'll sit down. And we'll just talk just like we do on the telephone, you know, and, and basically that's what we did. I kind of got his, his story, you know, where he's from and, and, and how he got into hounds and, oh, and then, you know, we get into the hounds that he's owned and, and how he's hunted and how long he's hunted and where he's hunted and, you know, and then some ideas on scent and good dogs and bad dogs and mules and horses and, and, uh, you know, just a little bit of stuff then, right? Yeah. Just a little bit of stuff, you know, I, I, but we, you know, we toss it around a little bit. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Cause I know Jim played a big part in some of those interviews. He's definitely a storyteller. Oh he's, yeah. He's fun to listen one. to. <laughs> well, all you guys make sure to tune in to Brett's YouTube channel at born 100 years too late for the video footage of this episode. And again, Brett, thanks for bringing this to us and I hope you all enjoy. You bet. Thank you, guys. When did you and I meet? I was trying to think of that on my way up here. You know, I think the first time we ever met, you came in the little store over there, or I came in the little store, and you were talking to Everett over here, this guy, and somebody else was sitting at the table, and I came in and I spoke to you because I, I recognized you, Aaron. And knew who you were, but I think I've seen a pickup out there with dog box on. That's I have my big old dog yeah. box on there. And we came over here that day, and that's the first time. I remember you used to post on that big game houndsman back years ago, didn't you? A long time ago, I did. Then I kind of got kicked off of it somehow. I never could access it. Hmm. I don't know. I it changed hands, you know, and everything. Of course, we discussed that before that or I did when I was doing the podcast with Buddy and them, it changed hands. And then finally it, I, it was the old shade tree and then it became the big game houndsman. I don't know. One guy bought it out and then Buddy bought it out and I don't know. It changed hands back and forth, but I know you were raised in Oklahoma, weren't you? Right. Are we on now, Brett? We're talking. We, it's live. <laughs> I'll quit eating him. <laughs> That's what I had somebody complain, right? A thing said, because you know how Mike was scarfing yeah. down those donuts? <laughs> it was smacking on the mic and everything, and I didn't, you know, I left it in there because he was telling a pretty good story. Somebody wrote a comment on there and says, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to have somebody eating and interviewing them at the same time. <laughs> but like I told them, I said, man, I'm not going to tell these guys what to do. If they want to eat, they can eat. Yeah, I grew up in southeast Oklahoma. Down in the Kaimishi Mountains, that's Pushmata Hall County. Not the most southeastern county, I was Curtin County and below it. But anyway, I grew up there. 
And when I grew up, it was basically a, just an open country. I mean, there was no lock gates, no no trespassing signs or none of that stuff. You went wherever you wanted to, whenever, whenever you wanted. Just to. different than it is now. <clears throat> and we had cur dogs. Always had kept cur dogs. We ran cattle on the open range. It was a lot of mountainous country, along with the timber companies, Derrick's then, and uh, we had cow dogs. And then later on, I got into the beagles. Time I was probably uh, 14, 13, 14, got into beagles. My mom got a beagle, male dog, and then we liked him. We got a female, and, and I kept a pack of beagles. Running rabbits? Yeah, they were everything. I could do anything with them. I could, I could take one or two of them and go treat them squirrels in the river bottoms. They, but I could run, I could run rabbits with them. I could run the swamp rabbits. They have a swamp rabbit in that country. Hmm. And I've caught foxes with them, and I've caught bobcats. They were they, they were a big beagle. They were probably the 16 to 18, 19 inch tall, little chunky guys. And they could move a track, too. That's uh, They say a beagle stays under the shade of one tree all day. These didn't. And that was kind of, I never did get them broke off deer. They would run a deer, and they'd run a deer out of the country, too. Hard to break off deer. Yeah. They were trail-minded dogs, really trail-minded. I heard guys are sought after to cross good beagles into their lion hounds. I've tried to several times to get into some of those big type beagles that was too big for restoration, and uh, there's been several I know that might work made good lion dogs, half beagles. And uh, anyway, that's the way I wound up with with hounds. You know. Well, you had it. Did you have some experience with the run-in type dogs also? Well, back there when I grew up, them old guys would go around on those prairies, and they called it wolf hunting. And actually, they were running coyotes. There wasn't no wolves there, but that yeah. was what they... It was kind of a red timber coyote. And I would go with them sometimes, and they'd turn out 30 or 40 dogs and sit there and build a fire and, and you know, drink coffee and drink whiskey and the old so-and-so dog doing this and doing that, you know. And it was and it was just kind of a social event, I think, you know, running running wolves, you know. <laughs> and I went was exposed to that sometime, and and then when I moved to this country, I got acquainted with a fellow over here named Jack Caldwell. What? How? When? What? How? How long ago was it? You moved it here? It had to be in 1976, I'm thinking. Was it? Did you move right to here? No, I didn't. I moved to Las Cruces first. Oh, okay. Excuse <laughs> me. <coughs> I think I moved to Cruces in 76, and I moved up here in 77. Oh, okay. So I'm not a native. I'm a, I'm really an Okie. You You're know? an Okie transplant. And a hillbilly Okie at that. What they, <laughs> they call them hillbillies. And I don't know if you've ever been in that country, and I'm not knocking it, but they they had a different code, and they had their own the way of doing things. But I moved up here in 77, and I got acquainted with Jack Caldwell. He lived over here, and Jack had hunted. Jack was a cowboy, and then you know, had done everything, but he'd hunted a lot with Orville Fletcher. Oh, okay. And he knew, and he knew, Jack had hunted, been, he was older than I was, he, he's dead now, but he was quite a bit older than I was, and he was kind of like slowing down, and I was young and, you know, showed up, so we kind of hit it all. We hunted every weekend we could, you know. You just, you just craving hunting yeah, lions it, or just craving hunting I, hounds? Just or? the hounds, you the know. Hounds. I didn't know. And he and I caught a little stuff together, bear, too, and a few lions. 
Jack was more, he was a more of a stricter type guy. Of course, you have to keep in mind, back in those days, uh, shocking collars weren't around, neither were tracking collars either. So y'all just turned them loose. We yoked them up. Jack would tuck two old dogs, and he'd take a pup. And he, I had a blue tick female. A coon hunter would give me a blue tick female. She was a Sugar Creek dog, he said. And I'd take her, and she was a nice old dog, but, you know, like I say, I never got them broke, because <clears throat> she could trail. That, that, that old sow could trail. But Jack would only let you run the tracks if those old dogs started it, you know, and they had to get it rolling, and then you'd get off and cut them loose, and we kept them yoked up. Yoked so they wouldn't get in yeah, trouble? Yeah. But we were, just had limited, you know, and, and Jack was into it more for the dogs, too, anyway. He liked to get out on some point and listen to them trail around, you know. He didn't care if they caught it or not, and we'd accidentally catch one every now and then, you that know. sounds like me. <laughs> and then I got to hunting with the Greenwoods down here, and they were in the bear, and we were hunted here on the river. And I messed with a bear for probably 12, 15 years, and then... Did you like running bears back then, or...? <clears throat> no, I really didn't. When I first started running bear... We didn't even have any tracking collars. We didn't even have any telemetry collars. We just, just took 12, 15 dogs, run a bear, and look for dogs for three days. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, I, I, that happened with me, even with tracking <laughs> collars. <laughs> and but we caught some, especially here on the river. You know, they they had the bees, and that's what I'd always heard. They had the beehives down yeah, there, and, the and they brought the bears them, in. And then they get depredation permits, and they were pretty good. They'd got into the plot dogs, and you know, here on the river, you could really. Re- really retrieve your dogs pretty good you know better than way up in the in mountains the mountains you know and uh, I remember I lost one dog down there at the north end of the the San Marcial it was really on the ladder ranch down there I was across the river uh, at a place Pawaki Pawaki over there it's just an old abandoned settlement Mexican settlement and that dog, somebody picked her up and hauled her to Albuquerque, you know, thinking they was doing it. And then they thought she'd starve to death. They stopped there at the Al Bar and bought her two or three hamburgers and stuff. And and I finally got her back. And I told her, I don't Do you have a phone number on the, on your on your collar? Yes. And and why they pick pick dogs up and haul them out of the country? I never know. Uh, I got to tell you the story. Mm-hmm. Me and uh, me and friend of mine were up there when I lived in the mountains, up on the camp there, and and. Uh, Oh yeah, we had a dog. He had a dog get away from him down there, and we were tracking him. And I said, you know, I said that dog's running something. <laughs> and we and we looked, and I said, well, well, he's going right down the road now, <laughs> and pretty soon he's going 35 miles an hour. I said, no, I said somebody picked that sucker up, you know, and there he was. We had to, of course, he hauled him to town, you know. All I think they hauled him all the way to Las Cruces, and wow, they, you know, they thought they were doing a good deed, right. you know, not. A, and I don't know, I never did get the old blue tick fully trained. I wish I had her back today. I think that was the most uh, well-rounded dog I ever saw. Where did she come from? She came from a coon hunter here. He said, he, he swore she was Sugar Creek, and how he came up with that mother to her, I don't know. And he'd give her away to some people here in town, and they were counselors up to high school. Well, they didn't have no place to keep her. They'd keep her in the house at night. But they'd put her in their backyard, and of course those four-foot cinder block fences, she'd just jump over them. And well, she'd have a cat tree over there by somebody's house at 9 
o'clock or stay till three o'clock in the morning. They'd call the police and he'd have to get up and go get her and they didn't have no place to keep her. They put her in the house and then just a repeat of that, you know, and they they finally gotten called so many calls to the police they were getting they were getting desperate, so I took her. But she was a most cat minded dog and I guess it was because she was raised there in town around all them town cats. House cats, yeah. She was case hardened cat dog. And I had her here and it could be a hundred degrees and not she'd be laying out here under the tree trees in the shade and she could She'd just throw her head up like that, and she might go halfway from here to the highway and have a house cat tree in the middle of the day, you know. She just... It was just on her brain. What kept you from from fully developing her? What Was well, it just your... First off, you know, we, I didn't have a shocking collar then, and mm-hmm. she was trashy. She would run anything, you know, and... and uh, she was spayed, so I never raised any pups out of her. Never have, had to worry about that. But when I took her, I had to really watch her. I hunted with Jack a lot, and I'd yoke her to a dog of his. But she was an excellent tree dog and an excellent trail dog when she got it going, you know, and was dedicated, really dedicated. I was coon hunting here on the river. I would lose her at night, and I'd get up early the next morning, and I could hear a tree way off over there. She'd stayed treed all night on a coon. I'd have mm. to walk over there and get her. But uh, she was the most soft, soft-hearted dog I ever had. She'd actually bring those kitten coons back to me, pick them up and carry them in her mouth. She wouldn't kill them. <laughs> she, wouldn't kill, she wouldn't kill a house cat. And she'd just pull on a house cat's tail, you know. But, but she'd tree them and she yeah, would trail them. She, she had a nose on her. She could she could trail a coon down a bar ditch, you know, a dusty bar ditch, dust that deep, you know. But I lost her anyway. And then I bought some dogs, bought some Polo Sanchez, a half walker, half blue tick. He was a good pretty good dog he got hit and broke a leg and then I don't know I just picked up dogs here and there and I did have a little Bertinoni female that came from through Clay Henderson and he'd give her someone had given her to her to him and she's about a three or four year old dog when I got her and a friend of mine had got her from Clay and somebody gave her to Clay and she supposedly was out of that Kojak dog of Bertinoni's. Was that a good dog? Yeah, he was famous for Red Tick dog. But but she could trail too. And uh, I raised some pups out of her. And uh, I think one of the best dogs I ever owned was out of her and a dog that Jack had. But he was big red tick dog real pretty you know nothing you couldn't fault his looks or anything but he had bad feet you know and the the bear he just couldn't one day in the mountains he was give up even though and his sister was the same way that just a trait you know and i believe that was a a good a dog as i ever owned but you you think those dogs that have bad feet like that you know coming from the sighthound world you know, we always talked about a dog that was real cat-footed, mm-hmm. cat-footed, and stood up on his, you know, stood up on his foot. And but, and I always thought that would correspond with the with the hounds too. You know, the sin hounds, that'd be a better-footed dog. But I had a 
a red tick dog that was big old spayed out foot and everything toughest feet around i mean never you know wouldn't hardly get sore footed but it must be the thickness yeah, of those pads yeah, the pads the padding underneath you know my old famous dog <clears throat> big black and tan dog i'll show you a picture he had he was coon footed and his foot was five inches long and i guarantee you he he could walk through a bed of cold and and Just. it never bothered him and I, <clears throat> I, I disagree with that cat footedness. For one thing, they stand up on their toes and they put all the, the pressure in a, just a center point right in the, the pad there. Yeah. And they're actually the ones that'll wear through quicker. You take those old dogs that's all splay footed and stuff, it's spread out. Distributing that yeah. weight, kind of like tractor. having tracks on, a, on a tractor, yeah. They're, they're just... You know, I'm, I've got a lot of theories. And a lot of opinions. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come up and talk to you. <coughs> well, we, we've discussed theories <laughs> and ideas and all kinds of things on the phone now for for years, yeah, and we get into a subject and just beat it to death. We huh? can work it over. <laughs> but then that's then I got built up, and then I got the heartworms in my dogs, and I lost. I cut down to five, and the older dogs and the heartworms, and the heartworms were unknown in this country at the time, and I got him, and they went through my dogs in 30 days, and that was a cruel way to see them go, I tell you. So did you lose all of them? I lost them all within Woo. 30 days, and I was, and it took the wind out of my sails. Did you, at that time, did you even know what it I was? I didn't even know. I did take one of them up to a vet in Los Lunas, Mike, what's his name, I can't remember, but he told me, he said, this is a hot spot of, of heartworms now. I bet. And and I, he told me how I was going to have you, you know you how I was going to have to doctor it. And since that day, when I got back into dogs, I've always been religiously on heartworm preventative. I think you need it anywhere you got water and mosquito, you got subject to heartworms. You know, but I I still I I had dogs get heartworm, and uh, I you know I don't even know I was there at the farm when I was at Rincon, right, and. Uh, I took some into the vet and had them treated. I lost Susie that way. That's what Susie died oh, really? of was heartworm. And uh, she just, I had her treated. Yeah. But then I guess something broke loose. I just found her in a pen dead, yeah. you know. Did and, they use the arsenic treatment on it? Yeah, I think so. Where they do it in like seven days, they give them an injection. Yeah, it costs, it's expensive. Yeah. But I, you can treat it yourself with Ivermect because uh, heartworm has a half-life of like, it reproduces itself what every 60 days or something like yeah, that or less before 30 to 45 days. so if you treat them every day for for heartworm or every week with the ivermec the existing heartworm doesn't have time to yeah. reproduce itself but that, you still can lose them i yeah. mean or burn their kidneys up because i did yeah. that to a running dog too yeah burn his kidneys up yeah i keep a monthly on heartworm on ivermec and i use it orally and i did blind that one dog old wrangler that i give to joel and uh, took him to the vet, and they said it was from the, iver the ivermectin that put pressure on the optic nerve in his spinal column, and he he went blind. You couldn't tell him. His eyes was pretty and brown and didn't tear nothing, but he was as blind as a bat. And, but he came back in a couple weeks, but I don't think the dog, you know, and this has always been my experience. When something traumatic happens to a dog and you get him over, they really never get the dog he was before, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't know, people will probably disagree with that, but... I, it's just happened to me. It's know? like heat stroking one. Yep. I don't think they ever come back I from that as, to what they were. And, you know, I I don't know. I've spent a lot of money on dogs. And then when I really 
got back into dogs, I got into the Henderson dogs. Is that when you met Clay or Wesley? Well, I'd known Clay, I'd known Wesley because he was rodeoing with my daughter. They were about the same age, and Wesley was about six or seven the first time I knew him. And he, and uh, later on, he was probably a teenager. Later on, <clears throat> and um, Marty and them got some dog. I got a dog from him. I called him Bo, a big red tick. And he got run over on the road here. Hay hauler run over him, and they gave me Clinker, and I and they'd raised a big black dog uh, out of. Robert uh, Pfeiffer's some of Robert Pfeiffer's stuff it this big black dog looked like he already been trailing inmates you know he was a slobber headed <laughs> loose skin and I called him famous but oh yeah I've heard you talk <clears throat> about famous a lot the famous was a good you know he had his place you know I tell you I, and then I had the Dharma too along later on four five six la- years later I had Dharma and Greg they were sister and brother to the Susie dog you had and and, uh, and I really had some I thought some good dogs then and you know I hunted one winter hard every day and I'd retired then and I hadn't caught a line all winter and I'd kept a tally and I don't remember how many hundreds of miles I suppose I had trailed on a line yeah I'd, you know, and I wasn't exaggerating about it, too. I'd go out and trail a line if it's an hour, a mile and a half. That's what I wrote down, if it's a half mile. You documented I it? I documented it. And, I, man, I'd run up a tally on this little bit. And uh, I don't know. I was up over 200 miles easily, trailing lines, and never caught. I hadn't caught one. And uh, the last day, and this was back when we was on October the 1st and March the 31st line yeah. season. The last day of night, the 30th of March, a well driller was drilling a well over here at uh, Escondida. And uh, he called me that night and he said, Jim, I was coming in from the north and he said, there was a line jumped across the road over there, a place we call the beaver ponds. It would fill up with water if the, and the beavers would put a dam in a drain ditch and it'd fill up. He said, right there, what y'all call them? And it had burned and it just a, wasn't no water in it now. And, uh, he said, that one jumped across the road, and I said, which way is he going? He said, he's going towards the river. And so I called Mike Matthews, he's a game warden. I said, Mike, let's go catch that line next morning. Oh, you ain't going to catch that line. I said, well, we ain't going to catch him now if we're going to try. <laughs> we don't go. <laughs> so I went over there, and I dumped them dogs out. And, of course, they went to trailing, and they went up the mesquite up on the, the mesa type. So I went up there and caught them, and I told them, hey, guys, I talked to that guy. He said that line was going towards the river. We're going to go that way for a while. We may wind up back up here. So they got it going. They trailed it. And them them lines would go out there along the river because them geese and ducks was roosting on them sandbars. Uh. And And man, them geese and ducks would get up. And you you wonder sometimes if you're trailing what you think you are or you're trailing (laughs) a coyote, you know. But anyway, they turned it around. They come back and treating a big old tree in there. And I said, man. I don't see it, and I looked and looked, and that thing was hid there in plain sight, and I don't know how they do it, but I called Mike, and he came over, and and I said, Mike, I don't want to shoot this thing, little old female, about a six-pound female, and he said, well, Jim said, you've hunted all winter, uh, you ain't caught anything, said, your dogs deserve something, and said, if you don't take it out it'll be killing cats and goats and chickens here around this uh, subdivision too, too close to people and uh adc will be in here and snare it and you'll be mad again <laughs> and i said 
Hell, I ain't even got a gun on me, Mike. So he said, I got one. So he put, pulled behind the seat there. He pulled out one of them lever action Rossi deals, and I shot that little old thing. And that one went, and I was telling that story to Otis Llewellyn, and I'm going to throw other names in here, too. Sure. <clears throat> and Otis told me the same story. He, and, it, and I tell you what, I'm going to brag on Otis and Orville Fletcher. One time, them guys were the kings. I don't they care. were, weren't they? <clears throat> he said I had it, and he had as good a set of dogs as Orville did. He said, I hunted every day the weather would let me all winter, and I never caught a line. Never caught a line. Was and, he? And he was hunting the way we do, yeah, getting yeah, on a mule, making right, circles, exactly. and free casting dogs. And, you know, if you read the books of, like, even Ben Lilly and Giles Goswick, they had stretches in their hunting career. They'd go 90 days sometimes and never catch hunting the same country they'd always caught in, you know. So, <clears throat> anyway, that didn't feel me. I never felt so bad after. Otis told me that story, but uh, anyway, back to Jack, you know, and uh, then I, I hunted bear. Jack finally got old and older and quit hunting. And did Jack run bear also? He, he didn't like to, but he would, you know. Uh, he would go. What? And, what? What's your opinion <laughs> on on running bear with your lion hounds? Yeah, I personally don't like it. I tell you why, and and I've. And I've formed a lot of opinions, and I've talked to other people, and I don't know, you know, everything's debatable, but I like my dogs to just be game-specific. In other words, if we're going to run cats, that's all we're going to run. Yeah. Then we're not going to run everything on the mountain. That running coons at night, bear in daytime, and lions in the winter, and everything else in between, I don't buy that, you know. Yeah. And back in those days, when I had those old dogs, I mean, you could bet on them dogs being right, right you know. I mean, you could watch their tail, and I could tell you before they all opened their mouth what it was. You, you could know. read them that yeah, well. right. But uh, there's a bunch of broncs I got now, you know. There's a bunch <laughs> of young dogs in there that hasn't caught that much. They love to run anything. They, they might run a lizard in a holler log, you know. And, <laughs> You think those dogs that are bred the way yours are, that once they catch a lion or two, then they're cat dogs? Yeah, they were really cat-minded, and I think that it comes in their ancestry. And, and How they've been bred up? Yeah. That clinker dog of mine, I never shot that dog one time. Never run a, put a hot collar on one time, and after that he had never let me catch him if he saw I had a hot collar in the hand. Yeah. And I only saw him run trash one time, and he wasn't running that. He was following some dogs that was running it, and he quit it in about 30 minutes and came back, you know. It just wasn't in his makeup, you know. Yeah, I got some dogs that I don't, to keep from accidentally shocking them, because yeah. I've shocked them before by accident. And then you shut, you know, if they're soft dogs, yeah. I go, you might shut them down for two months. Well, you might. And I just turn the, because of the new, the alpha, whatever it is, yeah. the Garmin deal, you just turn that, that, that. Uh, intensity down yeah. to nothing and then all you can you know i can tone them because yeah. i like to i like to have my dogs broke where i tone exactly. them and they come back That's to me good, yeah good, it's good. like the old time honking your yeah. horn or yeah. blowing a, a horn or something like that and you and, you know they just learn boy i take the prongs out of my collar that's what you told me that's a good idea i need to do that yeah. you know because then and i've done that before and you feel terrible you got you know a dog that's not running that Havelina over there and you think man i'm gonna break these dogs right now and you push the wrong button you shock the dog that's next to you i don't know these collars and technologies made it we can hunt more dogs and probably get more dogs trained but some of those older dogs were really 
really well-rounded, great old dogs. You know, they they had to do it all themselves. They had to strike. They had to trail. They had to tree. You know, now then we we run a pack of dogs. I got dogs that are better tree dogs. Some are better trail dogs. Some are better strike dogs. You know, and and I always looked at it like this, though, Brett. To me, it's like have, having a football team. You can't win all football games with quarterbacks. Neither you could it with a down lineman. So you got to have a diversity. Of you got to have some help. What uh, do you think that the technology has? Do you think it's made better dogs, or do you think it's <clears throat> it's made better hunters, or do you think it's spoiled hunters? What do you? What's your I opinion? I think it's spoiled hunters. I, you know, there's a lot of people nowadays that got dogs. They're not houndsmen. A lot of the older dog guys I hunted and grew up with were houndsmen. Yeah. Were true houndsmen. They did it for the love of the dog, and uh, and the rest of these guys, I just call them dog owners. Well, we, if you remember back in the day, we called them deer hunters with hounds. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't like to criticize anybody, but that's what they said. You know, they're just they got a few dogs, and when the snow flies, they they drive roads when right. they're not hunting anything else. But really, they're right. they're deer hunters right. with hounds. Anyway, whatever, each to his own. As yeah. Well. I mean, it's all legal. As long legal. as I'm not feeding them, I don't care what they're... It's all legal. One thing about it, when you hunt the way we do, we don't bump into many people, That's do we? That's right. You know, <laughs> I hunt all winter. And I, you know, I'll never, I'll never encounter another, another hunter and, with dogs in the woods. Now, I may see somebody on the road or been on a road, but yeah. I have some roadless areas that I can go make pretty good circle in. And, uh, I don't encounter many people. No. In... Very few people hunt a horseback anymore. Used to, you'd see horse tracks or mule tracks in, in the mountains, but I hunt all winter and never see a horse track. You know? Yeah, I, you know, there, uh, down there where I hunt, I run into, I know there's a couple guys that get in there, but that gum, there's so much country, you know, so much area that it's, you don't ever bump into yeah. them. You know, and I'm not into the killing part and you know, running up big scores. Yeah. Yet. That's not my thing. I'm into it, my hounds. For the love of the sport, you know, and there's nothing more pleasing to me. And if I go out here and I trail a line and and he probably don't catch him, but if I'm on the way in and they're strung out a quarter mile behind me like galley slaves, and they did a good job, I'm as proud of them if they caught the biggest tom on the mountain in ten minutes. You know, I mean. Yeah. Now, going back to where, you know, you hunted all year and and logged over two hundred miles. Yeah. Do you think on most of those tracks you're just too far behind the lions, or what? Are you just bad luck, or bad luck, and you know, and then another thing too, Brett. We never know how many times we trail a line the wrong way. I, I'm guilty of that, and those old dogs could trail. I don't know that they could tell which end of the track was the hottest. Now I had a little female later on out of Clinker. I called her Lisa, and she was a she was a really a nice dog had her and her brother and you ride into one of those places where there was scrape and if nothing would pop off she would take the track both ways a quarter of a mile and come back to she's testing it she'd test it she'd go out of sight but she also uh she would uh turn a track around really good but i've also had her in i'd quit a track two or three o'clock in the evening because i was getting too far from my pickup and she had such a big motor in her, she'd go back to where I started that track that morning. And oh, wow. She she thought I wanted it turned around. You know, after I'll she'd trailed it all them miles and across two or three mountains. And 
but she, her motor was actually just too big. But she could trail a coal track like, like uh, there wasn't nothing to it. To her, a coal track wasn't a coal track, you know. Mm -hmm. She'd move it. She knew how. And that one thing, Clinker, and I talk, you know, I'm going to throw Pat Wantland's name in here quite a bit. I talked to Pat a lot, and uh, whether you believed everything Pat said or not, that was between you and him, but uh, Pat gave me a lot of insight on a lot of stuff. He had a lot of knowledge. He mm -hmm. really did. He had been a lot. He'd he studied with, it, too, didn't he? I he'd mean. studied it, and he'd hunted with old Dean Workman and all them good old Arizona hunters. He'd hunted with Dale. And he could name them all, you know. I got, I got something I got to interject here. Okay. I'm, you know, because we've been making these interviews, mm -hmm. and you, well, matter of fact, you've been with me for the mm -hmm. last two I've done, uh, and I put them on YouTube, and then yeah. they're on the podcast on the yeah. W podcast. A guy sent me a, a, uh, an email, and he said, I had just heard on your podcast that Pat Wantlin had passed away. He said, so I called Linda. He said, I was at Pot Pat's two weeks before he, he had his accident, yeah. and I recorded him. He said, I really? got out my iPad, and we talked for two hours. Really? So he's sending me yeah. the recording of him, of him interviewing him, talking to him. Yeah. And he's got a lot of pictures of his dogs and pictures yeah. of his stuff and everything. And so that might be real interesting. It would be. You know, Pat really knew the genealogy of all these old, what yeah. I call Southwestern hounds, which isn't not a separate breed, but it's something that's developed for this old area type country, you know. And old Pat knew those old dogs. I mean, Stuhl, good ones, uh, anybody. Uh, Derringers, he knew the Derringers, you know, and all of them old earlier. And uh, he could talk your old dogs to you. <coughs> Homer Bryant was another old timer. And yeah. And a lot of those old dogs, he could tell you how they traced back, where they traced back to. Even some of Dale Lee's dogs, that pilot dog, he knew where pilot, who'd raised him. Dale never, never, never raised pilot. <laughs> but he knew who he raised from, and he knew pilot had two brothers that were never as good as he was. I'll be dang. Uh, yeah, I'd, I would love to talk to him, too. The but. genealogy, he really knew. But you know what he attributed to most of it, too? Was an old bloodhound bitch that came out of the state pen at Florence that Homer Bryant picked up. And they could breed her to anything. I was that Greta, Greta dog. Greta dog. Yep. And, <clears throat> I mean, he said, guys come in there and buy two pups. By 18 months old, they're bona fide line hunters. They're catching lines as good as anybody, you know. She made, she she threw good dogs. Yeah. You know, I got a kick out of, uh, we were talking one day, and, and, you know, you hear everybody talking about, you know, they want to cross, you know, bird dog into their hounds, or they want to cross, you know, a jag terriers or in Airedale or whatever, and, and trying to yeah. cross them up. And I remember you telling me that, shoot, I want to just put more hound in my hounds. <laughs> I, I'd like to get 25% more hound in. You know, and I... And I've talked to these contemporary younger guys now, and they don't think our dogs nowadays are what they were years ago. I'm talking about David Welty and Wes. And oh, really? David will tell you that his dogs is not near what they used to be, you know, and he don't know where you, you don't know where you lose it at either, you know. But I'm always in my deal. I'm always trying to improve, and I don't want to go backwards, and I don't want to really stay the same, but I'm always looking for an outside dog that I think will improve. Ex i seen you got a bloodhound out there. Yeah, but I, the jury's still out on her. You know, She hasn't? I, she's been trailing or anything? No, she's never done nothing. She's coming up on two-year-old, but... She still looks like a pup. Yeah, 
and I've talked to several people that had bloodhounds that said they were just slow developing. That, yeah, that you know, that Hoover dog that I had came from Riley Miller, and he was out of that laser bitch, and I guess she was half bloodhound yeah. or whatever, and, and man, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't do nothing until he was three years old, right. but I blame a lot of that on me, yeah. you know, not getting him on, on, on enough game. Well, but I, once he turned it on, man, he yeah. was... You know, I, I, Clinker, I thought, was slow starting. But here again, Brett, I was working, and I was only hunting on weekends at opportunists. And if you hunt weekends, you know, the best you can do is eight days a month, and half them's gone. So if you hunt two or three days a month, working a job and with everything else, and so he, when he got about four or three, between three and four, he turned on. And Famous was the same way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could just see them every time you took them out. They were better, you know. And, but I never worry about it. You know, I, Brett, I've got a lot of phases, phrases I've made up through the years. And one of my pet ones is I say, give a dog a lot of time and stay out of his way. Yeah. And by that, you can give him a lot of time in developing but, and give him a lot of time in training him and stuff. And I see too many dogs, they just want a one-year wonder, you know. I mean, you, you got to take into account or at least and that's what you've told me how you know what have you done with that dog in the amount of time right. you know you hear about guys you know having those one-year-old trailing tree and wonders but you know are they hunting the same kind of conditions that we hunt are they are they full-time hunters mm -hmm. are they hunting every day are they just you know that's one of the things i've always said is you know i get to hunt probably more than a lot of guys but i still don't hunt enough to be really good at I'm it with you. I'm saying and way. and you know like a mike root yeah. i mean mike root he like he said in his interview he said you know he said if we didn't have hounds and and i'm sure with mike it's probably true if you didn't have hounds and all we had was german shepherds he'd figure out a way to catch a lion with a german right. shepherd but i think that's just because he pounds the ground so yeah. hard you know and puts so many miles on yeah persistence has caught more lines than anything i think that pat wantlin always said that's what made dale lee separate from the other he was so persistent you know just out there all the yeah. time and after it and otis told me that orville fletcher was that way he said if orville ever found a kill that line was caught he said he would keep going and going he said very very rarely uh he did he ever found a kill that he didn't catch the line off of it you know or the lines whatever was on it but otis told me a story about i don't know if i told you this or not but orville had a hunter down in that country in uh, Seiko or Frank Dines country. He had this hunter and he was riding up a canyon one day and this raven got to circling him, you know, and squawking at him. And, and Orville was just being a smart butt and he he looked up at the raven and he said, show me a line, Mr. Raven. And they watched this raven and he flew over there and he lit in a dead top tree. They rode over there and there was a, a kill there. He caught the line in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the hunter really thought he had talked to the raven. <laughs> <laughs> he said, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. but, well, I'd always heard about Orville is that, that, you know, those times when I know when I'm trailing and I had a bad lose and you just can't pick it up right. and, and you don't know where to go. So you guess or whatever. Yeah. They said Orville knew where a line was going to go. You know, Jack Caldwell had hunted with him a lot and he said that, he said the same thing. He said, he said first, Orville could see a track that nobody else could do. He could see a track in pine needles, and that's hard to do. Yeah. Know? But he said that 
Orville thought like a lion. He he just had to think like a lion. And he said they'd be riding around and they'd stop. And he'd look around and he said, Orville would say, if there's a lion in this country, he went right through yonder. And you go over and before you got there, them old dogs started, ooh, ooh, started trailing, you know. He's, but I think Orville was a dean of modern day or later day hunters, you know. And then, well, as old as he was and as long as he hunted, he spanned both. I mean, yep, he, he told you know, me one time, I, I, was, it was, I said, man, I said, I'd like, I guess he went, even went down to Mexico and hunt jaguars right. for a little while. And I told him, I said, man, I'd like to go down there and hunt jaguars one of these days. That sounds like fun. And he looked at me and he said, you're not tough enough. <laughs> you know, after he was 75 years old, Orville caught probably more lions than most people. He caught 39 on the, and 44, he was on the double H and then on Turner's on the ladder down there. In five years, he caught whatever 39 and 44 is. And he was after, he was an 75 year old. Now he had help, you know, those farm workers and stuff at double H with is that that elk preserve out yeah. there, that elk mm -hmm. country or whatever? But he was he was past 75 and getting close to 80 when he done that. Now, there ain't many 80-year-old men who say they done that. No. 39 on one place and 44 on another. Of course, they was shooting everything they caught on. They wanted them dead, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, he uh, when he hunted with me, he was in his 80s. And, yeah. And uh, there was no slowing him down i mean he he was going hard boy otis can tell you some stories about orville you know a lot of people i don't know how many people might have hunted with orville and through the years or he got started i'd say probably 50 young guys but orville's always said that otis was of all of them otis was the toughest and the best of all of them otis Llewellyn. yeah yeah uh bill otis's son yeah. sent me a message yesterday saying that Bill uh, Otis is going to be over in Buckhorn this winter and uh but I'd already I I don't know when I'm going to be able to go but I'd already <coughs> talked to Otis and, and yeah. I'm going to try to go to Oklahoma and, and hunt some bobcats with him and uh Van Johnson is supposed to be there at the same time too so that'd be interesting now Otis has got some stories too and yeah and Otis is a good storyteller you know I'm you know a lot of people are and I'm not a good storyteller you know, I've, you know yeah you are only thing I've really done is wear out a lot of horseshoes and mule shoes. And, <laughs> and I wore out every excuse for not catching something in the world. And finally, I had I made up my own, and that didn't work either. So, <laughs> your, yeah, so, if you do it long enough, you can. So you can people sure ask think me, some. they'll ask me, say, "Well, why didn't you catch something today, Jim?" And I said, "I don't know. You go have to go talk to those dogs. You know, I don't know why I didn't catch it." But, I don't worry about it anymore. You know, at one time it bothered me. I, I was younger and I had those good dogs, and I'd come in in the evening, and man, my stomach would be churning, and I'd be stirred up, whooping the meal over the head, and fighting the dogs. You know, and one day I just said, that, "That's it. It's from now on. It's fun," and I, I just changed. And now it's a fun deal. I'm. If something blows up, it blows up. I'm not upset. And I just go for the love of the game. Yeah, know? and that's. I think a lot with the social media nowadays and the young guys, there's a lot of uh, competition and a lot of pressure yeah. for a guy to go out there and, and, and try to get the numbers, put up the numbers, say, yeah. oh, so-and-so over there, he caught eight lions this year, right. and, and, you know, I've only caught one or I haven't caught any. And uh, But that 
a lot of it is, and I don't want to make anybody mad or anything, but you don't know how they went about catching those exactly. lines. You don't know the whole story. You yeah. don't know, did they start them off a, one of these fancy cameras that sends you the picture? Did they cut the track on the road, driving roads? Or is it, was it in the snow? Was it off a kill? Was it, you know, all those things that, that you know, because that's what I always told everybody. I've caught easy lions. Yeah. That lion, that Tom I caught last year, was the first time I cut one the day before, trailed him all day, and then caught him the next day. That's and and uh, man, and he's still walking around out there. I think yeah. uh, maybe there's another lion hunter I had. I got word of that might have killed him. Oh really? Yeah, because that was a pretty good place he was coming into. And after killing that elk, I'm sure he might have left for a few days. Yeah. But I bet he come back in there because there was a lot of game in there. And I heard a rumor that another lion hunter killed him in there, but local guy. Or? Yeah, local guy, and and I don't know if it's the same lion, but it'd be easy to tell because he was missing part of an ear. Yeah, and he was a big <clears throat> sucker. But shoot, I didn't kill him, and I was just as happy as I could be. I got good pictures yeah. of him. I got a good video story. Right. It was it was everything that I wanted it to be. You know, to me, it's anticlimactic to drive right up to a tree and shoot something out of the tree that give you a good race to get there. Brett. Now, I guess yeah. I'm old school and a lone wolf, but, you know, you and I are probably, we're, we're lone wolves. We hunt a lot by ourselves, and we're old school the way we hunt, you know, and it's not the kosher thing to hunt, but that's the way, only way I know, and I ain't going to change, because I've hunted on some of that snow driving around on a, on a side-by-side or track-driven deal, and man, I get tired of bouncing around. Oh. Coffee gets old, cold and the donuts get stale, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I went some, with some guys, and we, of course, we weren't hunting in snow, but we were hunting roads. Just You might as well have been snut, hunting in snow, because we were, were driving roads looking for tracks, and they had the lights hooked up on the bottom of their truck wow. that shined that light down the, high, down the road, the dirt road, and you could see every little track you know it it made a and i sat in the back seat and man i could just i i get so sleepy i couldn't hardly stand it and finally we're driving i was looking and on the berm on the side of the road there i seen a lion i said oh there's a lion track and they said oh it's one we we seen just three days ago you know we we already that lion somewhere else but they'd take and put a circle when they'd find a a lion track they'd draw a circle around it so they wouldn't wouldn't see the same track over but I got tired of that. I, you know, when I first started, I was just fascinated with the way you guys hunted. I mean, just, and of course, I was raised riding, you right. know, and, and, and so it all goes hand in hand together, mm-hmm. you know, riding and going through the country and watching those dogs try to trail. That's, that's what it's all about for me, at least. And I think you really, I know when I'm a hunt, out there on my mule or horseback, my dogs are they're handling better than when I'm dumping them out of the pickup and they're just running wild till they run down and <clears throat> after I I take a, one or two trips to the mountains in the fall and I call it cleaning them up I straighten them up I mean when I whistle I want them right back to me and they get and these dogs really shape up pretty, pretty quick you do know they? they know they yeah, really know they do they're, you know I wish here again I wish we'd have talked to Pat Wanton or something. Oh, Pat had a, he was a kind of a dog psychologist in a way. And it, you don't see many people nowadays that think like the dog thinks. And Pat, he had a different way of thinking. And he, and I've kind of revolved my stuff. Well, I don't think like the, the normal guy does. Mm-hmm. You know, for one thing, 
Pat thought like a dog did, and he'd explain it to you, and after he'd explain it to you, you could see, well, yeah. It made sense. It made sense. It wasn't the human way, it was a dog way. You know, for one thing, the dog, we, us humans see the world through our eyes. A dog sees it through the end of his nose. He has a different perception of things right there, mm -hmm. you know. And, but old Pat could explain it to you, what that was that dog was thinking. Mm -hmm. He explained it to you from the way the dogs thought. And whether he's right or wrong, nobody knows, but it... Uh, I enjoyed talking to him. I, I, yeah. I thought he was real knowledgeable. When you retired, was that your idea to hunt a lot more? Yeah, it was. You know, I had a good set of dogs, and you know, I, and, and I just retired. I don't know. I went in one day to work, and a guy told me where he'd seen a line. The night before a guy caught and told me he'd seen a line there. Mm -hmm. And I went into the desk, <clears throat> and I was sitting there, it was about 8 o'clock, <clears throat> and I got to thinking, why am I sitting here? I was eligible to retire. I had enough years in. I had 34 years or so in. And wow. It was my everything. <clears throat> I said, i got a good set of dogs at home, and here I'm sitting behind a dang desk. So I just told my supervisor, I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and that, I went home. I went. I went home. Got my dogs, and I went and caught that line. And so I got to thinking. <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? Are you doing it? You're not doing it for your dogs. You're going to work. You just felt obligated to go to work. <laughs> yeah. You've done it all right. your life. <clears throat> and it's a hard habit to break. To tell you the truth, Brett. <clears throat> you do have a guilty complex after you retire. I did for years. I'm just now getting over it. After all these years. I got to where I don't think about it, you know. It come, be like me, and, I, and I've worked for myself. I've been self-employed for, well, most all my life. I worked for my father, and then I yeah, took over the business. Right. But it don't matter, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if I'm out in the hills, I'll have just that little tinge of guilt exactly. that I'm, I'm <clears throat> out here, I should be working, right. you know. And, uh, but come Saturday, <laughs> oh, I feel free as a bird, you know. <laughs> And and uh, really, it's no different as long as I get my work done. But yeah. I've always I, I, I always have that feeling that I should be doing something else. But I think we should enjoy our life more as we go through it, and don't all let all of these pressures get to us and obligations and stuff. I think you know I just lost that good friend, and you know it took the wind out of my sails. He and I would like I've lost my brother and two good friends. You know and uh, Ray. Ray and yep. Pat, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah, that you know. We 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 need to enjoy life more, you know. Really. We only it? have a certain amount of time, yeah. you know, and that's 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 just the sad truth. And, but. And if I die in the mountains, you know, I've told my son-in-law and my daughter, my mules and the horses show back up to trailer sometime. Don't worry about me. Just, just take a sign out there if they want to and nail it. He's behind here somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I talked to Bob Rollins did you ever know Bob Rollins when he was at Wall Lake down there he was an outfitter out of Wall Lake no sir he said never worry about that stuff if stuff's going to happen it's going to happen yeah and, you know old Bob was quite a guy too he was one of those old time dog men that guy owned a lot of dogs and he was a premier bear hunter in his day he caught a lot of bears he caught a lot of bear he wasn't that good a line hunter he showed me a log one time, Brett, of the dogs he had owned. Now, most people don't keep this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I never have. 
you know, I, I keep a little deal now, the late dogs, but every dog he had ever owned since he started hunting, he had a book. And that book was that thick, and he had them numbered from one to, he was like up to 600 and something dogs. <clears throat> and it would be the sex, the breed, where the dog came from. And he had gotten dogs, bought dogs, raised dogs, got dogs out of the pound, people give him dogs. And I always think about this, and uh, and he'd have a little notation there, and sometimes there'd only be three or four dogs on this sheet, and eight or ten over here, if the dog was any good or no good or what happened. You know, he made it, he, he'd put a lot of time into a diary of his dogs, mm -hmm. and I don't know anybody that's ever done that. And he said, out of all them dogs, he had only really ever owned two good dogs. Really? And they were full brothers. And he never got them bred. And they were both blue ticks, full brothers. He says the best dogs he ever owned in his life. And, and but he now he caught bear and he had good other dogs. But he said those dogs were outstanding. They you know? do it all. They do it all. And, you know, and I think of that all time. You know, people talk of superstars and stuff. And you know, I've only seen one or two dogs of other people's that I would have liked to have owned. You know, mm -hmm. I had a friend who had a little red dog. He lived at Dattle. He called her Cherry. She was a wealthy dog, or a Henderson dog. And I believe on lines, that was the most thorough trailing dog I ever seen. Really? It was like she was rolling a golf ball in front of her nose the whole time. She was moving that track. Yeah. She never picked her nose up. She never barked. She barked at the ground. She had a terrible voice. She just squeaked anyway. And then she barked at the ground. You couldn't hear her 50 foot behind her. But she, once she got a track, she wasn't the coldest nose dog I ever seen, <clears throat> but she was death on the track. That line was about caught. Yeah. He was about caught. I mean, and double back, so there was no problem to a double back tour. She'd just whip a track around in a heartbeat and go right back down the line with her head swinging both sides. We saw her one time, and some of those double backs were a quarter mile, and she'd come back. And she figured it out. Figured out. And I, <clears throat> her name was Cherry. And you know, I think dogs like that are freaks. They're really, really good ones. And Out, outliers. Yeah. yeah. And they don't reproduce to their potential, and, and uh, people think they do, you know. And so, I'm, uh, I, I mean, I imagine that's part of the, the equation to make a good dog is how much of it, I mean, you can't make a good dog out of bad genetics, but the genetics got to be in place. And then you have to have that right exposure. Mm -hmm. And then whatever went through, you know, whatever experiences that dog had during her, his formidable years right. is probably what makes that exceptional dog maybe, or they just learned something the other dogs never did learn. And, and of course, they have to have the genetics, got to have the brain, you know, to, to figure it out too, I guess. But I don't know. I, you know, I'm just a hillbilly geneticist, geneticist too, you know, and... I don't know. I think that first year of a dog's life is so crucial. It's what you do with him that first year. You set him up for the rest of your life. I get a lot of these gimme dogs that are two and three year old bound the chain or in the kennel come in here and man, it's a long road and out of probably 100 or 200 of them that's been given to me, I can only recall three of them. That, and they, those three made good dogs, you know, I guarantee you. What's the hardest thing you think for these dogs? What, I mean, what is the trait that you that you would look for the most i mean what is the hardest one to come by i think drive and intensity that's what i 
and that would translate into yeah. cold trailing because yeah. they i mean a dog doesn't have that drive and intensity is not going to try yeah. to trail that old <clears throat> nasty you know, track those old dogs i had bred old clinker and dharma and, and famous they were so intent on a track that when i got ready to stop the evening and i was the guilty one to stop it wasn't them i'd have to get in front of them a horseback and chunk them off of it they wouldn't call off the track uh-huh. you had to actually get their attention and that's what i like you know and and, uh, and that's what David and I have talked about. These dogs really are... David Welty? Welty. That, you know, people catch lines and they catch, you know, still catch them with the other dogs, but there's something, there's some things in there that's just unexplainable, you know. And that's why I like to talk to Pat a lot about it. He, he understood that part of a dog's DNA makeup. <clears throat> what it takes and my dogs I don't know my dogs are real light most of my dogs are real light handling and that's one thing I'm I, I'm kind of guilty of that because I hunting by myself if I get around them bad bluffs I'll ride up there I'm not gonna get on get up get off and crawl around them bluffs like them young guys do yeah I ride up there and I call them off and I ride away from there yeah <clears throat> it's like a, I had a oh an older lion hunter tell me said man there's there's easier places to catch lions than this right and you know that's another thing too i think catching lions depends on where you're at a lot brad i know it does and you know and you and i both hunt some horrible country we just get like mike root told me one time he says when you catch a lion you just get lucky just lucky just lucky it ain't nothing but luck what he said but yeah. you know some places you know that piney type country you know i've got a friend over at nogal man he he gets one going he's about caught you know but it it don't have the bluffs and the ledges to yeah a lot of that country over there is is is, is lush lush compared right. to what we're hunting over here i had a guy tell me one time and he was an older guy that said found found a kill and he said oh then that lion's dead you just got him caught if you found a kill and i listened to them talk about hunting with the warner glenn and terrell shelley hunting together and found a kill and couldn't catch a line couldn't get out on it right <laughs> <laughs> those guys can't catch it i know that i might have a hard time doing it <laughs> but i've never understood scent, you know and i've studied it and i've thought about it and uh, wish i could have wish i could have got deeper into it but there I think there's so many variables into scent we don't understand them and then we don't know how they all interact you know mm-hmm. especially in this desert southwest and slow humidity and I know some days it's easier trailing than others and I do and there's so many things I know the the, the barometric pressure has a lot to do with that track and you can trail and one of those storms moving in and a low pressure system you can trail a track better on that as opposed to a higher that's moving out and storm excellent and high pressure and pat wantland always he knew what he said what he always went by he'd build a fire and the wood stove he looked out the window the smoke was rolling off the eve of the house to the ground he said that man go get on your mule and horses that's good trailing but if it's going straight up the atmosphere he said that's not too good but you know then you have freak deals where they're catchable under any circumstances you know but uh, yeah I, I've, I've often I've heard that in the past you pull out in the morning when that sun starts to crack and 
and and you can look down that valley and you can see that that smoke just hanging yeah. down low and you think man that's a good day i call it heavy days you yeah. know you got that heavy day and you can feel it it's kind of heavy and it's a good day to trail you know or i think you know one thing we're both of us guilty of is we get up in the morning and we leave and go up some canyon and it's frosted down the tracks will be froze down in those canyons and uh, the lion walked earlier in the night and the dew fell and it froze that track froze up basically it's froze down he might bark on it and you come back by there that evening <clears throat> this old twilight dog she was out of my old famous dog she was real wise to that she'd go up a canyon she wouldn't be in the bottom of the canyon she'd be up where the sun was hitting the, the, <clears throat> the ridge she'd hunt up high like that she'd figured out she'd gone up where it was thawing out where yeah. she could see <clears throat> They're the smarter than we think sometimes, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Just stay out of their way, Brett. Stay out of their way. <laughs> I've learned that. I've spent a lot of years getting right in their way, and I know I messed them up. You know, and you Terrible. can push a dog off the track, too, if you keep riding up behind him because they're trained to go in front of you. And, and uh, you can just keep pushing. Now, I've done that back in my day, too. But now then, if I'm going up a canyon, trailing a canyon, I get up on the side. Or if they're trailing up on the side, I get in the canyon. I, you know, I just... I like to stay in hearing, and with these new alphas and stuff, it don't matter. I mean, yeah, just you, go on a trail ride and look for your dog. Yeah, yeah. I've been tempted to just get a bunch of telemetry collars and take those dogs I got, turn them loose, and whatever they catch, <clears throat> they catch. Just try to get to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, since I bought all these telemetry collars, I mean, the GPS collars, and I've never, it's never in, increased what I've caught, though, Brett. I was catching just as many with the telemetry collars as, as it was with GPS yeah. collars. I Makes it easier to get to your dogs. Uh, right. uh, you can, and, and although I've made mistakes, I caught a lion up there off of a, oh, I'm not going to say it, but up there on the mountain. Right. Back there, and, and uh, I, I got my, we started it in the canyon, and they went, and they went up just a little old rough rough little drainage deal you know going up through there and i looked and i thought i'm not going to just bail off up through here and try to stay with them i'm going to watch them see where they go and of course i'm looking at my gps like you shouldn't have been doing and i seen them go up and circle around well i seen where this trail went went down and went around and then there was another trail went right up to the top of that mountain shoot that's why would i want to lead and crawl on all fours trying to get up this old rough nasty thing when i can ride all the way around and get up there on that trail well that trail might have been there in 1940 but it wasn't there four years ago yeah. and uh i got over there and i couldn't get to my dogs really couldn't get down timber i got in that burn scar oh, down timber and the the trail wasn't there and i fought it until almost dark and so i went back and i slept in my truck that night got up the next morning the wind was blowing 90 miles an hour and uh i went around and of course you know i still had signal on my dogs but you know how they are they're 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 scattered one's yeah. bedded down over here in it and uh i you know it probably wasn't true but i know it felt like they just gave me the most disgusted look when i got up there like where were you when we were getting our job done yeah. you know i don't know if they i say they caught it they were in a spot where they should have caught it or at least you know i had it bait up for a little while where if i'd have been closer to him i could have seen it but yeah i kind of felt bad i gathered them all up and took them back home you know and another thing i've been guilty of and i i can i know five to probably ten times i've had a line treat 
and I just didn't look hard enough for it there I've been one of those pine thickets <clears throat> dogs would be treed here and there wasn't no line in that tree and I'd say guys y'all are lying to me let's go you know I should have looked around because I was I caught a line over here on Black Mountain over here behind Buddy Tigner's they were treed on a different tree and I don't know if the line had been in that tree but the, it was about five trees over there and I I was getting disgusted rode in there and no no line in tree and here's dogs just tied up treeing their heart out Tom only was with me and he said, well, the line's over here, Jim. Now, I should, how she got over there, I don't know. I mean, if she'd been there and come out, you know. We'd right. had her, and I trailed that line that day up there, and it's not a big, it's kind of a flat-topped little mountain. And them dogs three times treed, Brett, and when I'd get up there, they'd be in a dead-topped alligator juniper. And I, before I got there, I could see there wasn't no line in there, and there was a little dampness on the ground, and I'd look, start looking, well, I got the tree before the dogs messed it up, and here's the track would be leaving there. I'd find it, mm-hmm. and I'd get old famous by the collar and said, "Famous, she's just pulling a trick on me. What she's doing was jumping up that tree and watching those dogs, mm-hmm. and they'll do that too, you know." I got so, film of one doing that, climbing really? up in a the only tree out there, climbing up and looking at us a long ways down. The really? dogs trailing yeah. up, only tree. It was out there on the Armendaris on Ted Turner's place, and that line. Well, guys with me shot at it. Anyway, that's another story. But so, who are some of the when you started? Who are some of the old timers that you hunted with? Uh, you know, Jack was the only one I really ever hunted Jack, with. Jack Caldwell. Caldwell, yeah. I never hunted with Orville. I knew Orville, and I'd sold him some hay and stuff. And later on, I hunted with Orville up on Floyd Lee's on Mount Taylor. But this was right before he died. And, but I never hunted with him, and I'd hunted some with the Welties, and uh, I never got to hunt with TQs or, or Hugh Only, them guys. They were the old hunters. Really? Yeah, and uh, I What about Woods? Woods. There was a Woods that was an old... He was out in the Gila more, wasn't he? Or... I, you know, I've just heard his name. I don't know who he was. Yeah, what's his name? <clears throat> now, I hunted some with Jimmer. Of course, Jimmer's my age. We were hunting in the of Capitans and uh, basically I just hunted with Jack or then later on got to hunting bear hunters with the, with the Greenwoods and uh, and Butch and, and me and Jeff hunted a lot together and me and Mike Matthews hunted some but you know we're all kind of contemporary but you know what I've noticed and I might be all wet and Clay told me the same thing so I don't know I think these lines have moved a little bit in their in their range of what I'm what I when the one I started hunting when I started hunting with Jack we went to the top of the highest ridge out there we went down Hardy Ridge or we clumped someplace and now then just a little bit closer to you now then uh, these lines are just wherever you find them they may be out in the flat yeah yeah I right there behind my house there's there's a female cut I you know I think out there in that nasty old desert, I think they even the females have a lot bigger range than than, than we realize, you know. Survive, and that's the ones you know. <laughs> we just, I just, I, because I get my dogs out often, you know. Right. I, I get them out for, you know, I try to get them out every morning, but it's not always possible. But, but I and I go right to that easy country right behind my house. I can just get on a mule and ride out the back. And but there's a lion crosses through there just you know about every three or four months i'm sure you know and i she might be more often than that and i just miss her but i don't know i did i never find a kill 
never find a, a, a scratch where toms come in there right and matter of fact in that desert i've only found like two scratches in in four years so there's for whatever reason a tom scratches he don't feel necessary to scratch in that country right. you know the same here on this river brett i can really only call one tree down here they scraped under by the refuge and one up here across from town they scraped the side of a trail and i've caught toms here on this river and they mm -hmm. travel it and i've caught several toms you mm -hmm. know. <clears throat> but it just don't seem to be the hangout you know i mean it's just a travel route and stuff i've caught three lines within a half mile of the house here wow that's that's handy caught one in that down here by that cabin that was a bosque at one time and I caught one down there, a tom, uh, about a 90-pound tom. I didn't kill him. And another thing, I don't kill him, Brett. You know, I'm not yeah. a killer. Shoot, but. Caught one over on the river. They drowned her in the river. She tried to cross it, and people turned dogs loose. And a pup had her bait under a willow there underneath the bank, and she jumped out a time or two. And I caught one across the river, straight across over there in a bosque right here within a half mile of the house you know? well you've caught quite a few bobcats on the caught river a lot too of bobcats but you know i don't know they're not here like they used to brett you know now that's one thing i wish i would have kept a record of i've got a, a file in there on my computer but i just dated them like today's date whatever it would be 08 28 20 you know the mm -hmm. two bobcats you know I wish I'd have kept a better file. And you don't kill them either, do you? Never kill them. One year there, the first got high. I caught ten. I harvested, harvested ten, and I. But the trappers was hounding, hounding them too. But we seemed to have bobcats then. I'd see bobcats going to get the mail, you know. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> but now then, I don't know what's happened. We don't have the bobcats. The foxes moved in. The gray foxes. And I used to cuss the fox hunters, but I figured out the foxes is a harder tree than a bobcat, you know. Do you, I mean, do you, are you upset when your dog, when you no, find out I'm your not, dog's really are, not, you know, yeah. really not. You know, they're just doing what they're doing. And, you know, it's both of them faint scent, you know, and I really sometimes on faint scent, I wonder if a dog can actually differentiate <laughs> the difference on faint scent. You know, I, Pat Wanlin explained it like this. He says a, a dog's nose is like a shaker board. And it comes in here, and this shaker board, uh, they're sorted out to the ones that, you know, the, the little minuscule pickup. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're so fine and so faint, they all fall through the shaker board, you know, the, huh. the, the heavier ones don't. Of course, that was his explanation of it. Yeah. So they may not can really tell the difference, you know. I used to. I know one thing. Uh, a good and I've had some old time old timers told me some things about dogs that's not contemporary thinking. Uh, one thing, one old man told me <coughs> one time. Excuse me. <coughs> he said, "Show me a good skunk dog, and I'll show you a good line dog." <laughs> and there's some truth in that. Too. Yeah, there's some yeah. truth in everything. And another one said, "Show me a good fox dog, and I'll show you a good line dog." Yep. I've, everybody I've talked to has always said they've had a hard time with foxes, and and I that was one of the questions I ask everybody. I said, "What do you, you know? What do you do? Do you do you do you break your dog's heart off fox? When when I call about breaking them hard, that means when you realize it's a fox that you just fry their head. You know, yeah. you break them hard. And I've had uh, well, I've always heard Henry McIntyre. He didn't 
he didn't get after his dogs for running a fox. Really? And then, uh, oh, uh, oh, that Dave Carlson over in Arizona, you know, he said he got to training his dogs on foxes. I could see that, you know. But now you talk to Chris Todd, and Chris Todd says, I can't ever, I can't allow my dogs to run foxes. I won't ever get to a lion. Yeah. So, but then you talk to uh, uh, Keith Wilkerson, and Keith said, ah, you know, they'll trail the fox. They'll just trail it up the canyon yeah, a little ways, yeah. and then they come yeah. back. They don't, Yeah. I don't know. There's worse things they could be doing the way I look at it. Well, that's kind of where I've, I've. You know, I'm not guiding guys. It's not like I got a $5,000 paying customer behind me that's expecting to see a lion and I catch a fox or I trail a fox. And so, I, I, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to. I thought because I was just doing what everybody told me. You know, oh, you can't let those dogs run foxes and this and that. No, you got to break them. They got to just bark on a lion track and this and that. I think I ruined a lot of dogs that way. I throw a dog a lot of rain anymore, Brad. I give them, a, I give them. A, they have to screw up really big before I really come down on them, you know. And I, I think there's been so many dogs messed up nowadays. And you know, I, <clears throat> a lot of these dogs give me to me. There's I, what I call froze up and neutral. They don't know what to do. That so they do nothing. That's mm-hmm. the way Pat Pat Wantman explained dogs. He says they don't they. They've been so disciplined and stuff, and I guess he took in a lot of dogs, trained dogs for other people. When a dog don't know what to do, he does nothing. Nothing. Scared <clears throat> to get in trouble. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, my philosophy has changed a lot mm-hmm. since. Mine too. Of course. Now, I've also caught some javelinas, and I've you know I get after them when I know it's a javelina, a deer, or a coyote. Or porcupine. You know. Oh yeah, I haven't run into any porcupines, but yeah, I get out now. I get after them for that. Yeah. I mean, hard. Yeah, I don't. I think, and here on the river, I try to keep my dogs off coons too. And a lot of people say, "Oh, I'll let them treat them coons." If they if they just treat one without trailing, I don't know how to correct that. You know, I mean, if you shock a dog for treeing, I don't think. That's no. Yeah. Right, but. And now the coons are kind of the few coons we got are right on that low flow channel over there, and it's and once the dog gets into one of those coon wrecks, I call them wrecks, they're always tempted to go back there, and you know they like a dog likes a fist fight, you know they like something. <laughs> they, that's they do. They want that encounter, yeah. yeah. But that uh, javelinas is my top, you know, and until the other day I hadn't had no problems. Now these some of these. Male dogs, pretty bronchy. They got into, a, no, as the females had them, had them paid up there. Javelina? Yeah. And some dogs got, no, as a male dogs, because some of them really got punctured on them, you know. They, they're terrible. They're I'm, terrible. They, they. And bear, I don't let them run bear either, you know, try to keep them from running bear. And, and I don't know if that's good or bad. And I don't want them running coons. I just want them game pacific, you know, to that. I, you know, I, I go through this every year, comes this time, you know, this time, and I know bear season's here, and and I got those dog bronchi, I call them the terrorists, you yeah. you call yours bronch, those bronchi male dogs, I mean, they're the same way, and I always think, man, I should just let them run some bears, I should let them go ahead and run some bears, get something in a tree, so they can bark at the bottom of the tree, and, and I can pet them up, and call them off, and go see something else, and. But I don't know, I think. Some of that's the root of all evil when you start, Brett. I think that 
And, and that's why I don't mess with the coons. You know, if they run a coon, then they'll attempt to run a bear. You know, most coon dogs will run a bear. Yeah, that's the next yeah. step, yeah. So if you never start on the coons, then you really, do, the bear get easier to break, you know. And that once you run bear, then you don't know what next thing you're going to be running, you know. I think those guys in southeastern Arizona with those Coda Mondays, I think they got the bigger problem than we do, or as big a problem. Because they travel just like a lion and trail just like a lion, you know, is what they tell me. In fact, uh, my friend at, at uh, Cliff caught a Coda Mundy the other day. He said he thought he was trailing a lion for three or four hundred yards, boom, in the tree. And I, like I told you before, and when you walk up to a tree and those dogs are treeing and you see that tail hanging down right at dark, <laughs> it looks like a lion too. Because <laughs> I, I, I caught three of them when I lived up there at camp, treat them. And finally, I was up there on top of the animus, and I was, and they got after one, and I seen him on the ground, big old, I guess you call him a boar, yeah. I don't know, big old male, and he was, he was good size, and he was running across the there, and those dogs right after him, and, and I had the opportunity to, to yeah. pop them right when they were on him, right. you know, and that was, I think that helped a bunch, but yeah, and they, and they say they'll flip over backwards and cut your dog's throat out. That's what this kid told me. He said that what they'll do is they'll grab that dog right underneath the throat, and the other dog's pulling on him. He says that's where the damage. That's where it comes from. Huh? The other dog's jerking on him, you know. But you know, there's always something. You know, this river's a trash pile right now. But you know, I always look at things with both eyes too, Brett. You could go out there and not have to worry about it. Well, use it for your opportunity to break them off stuff at the same time you know yeah clean yeah. them up right there yeah yeah i have a hard time hunting the river of course what you know just where we're at there's it, it, there's not really good access to the river in good country you know yeah. there's the railroad tracks right there and the, the highway and and uh the drainage ditches and it's hard to get across the drainage ditches and stuff right and, and the rattlesnakes you know and i of course i have rattlesnakes everywhere so you know i haven't encountered one this year even with my dogs and <clears throat> usually they're good to bay one in the summer you know i had to let one live the other day the dogs were trailing i had to get to him and i heard him he was yeah. rattling at us in the bush and then just yesterday i called my wife outside early in the morning because always after i said you know when you walk out here in the morning you look you pay attention right. because these snakes come right through the yard and i called her over there and right coming out from underneath her car there was a snake track i said see that i said yeah. that's a rattlesnake that that because you can tell those rattlesnakes they right. make her harder turns right. and they leave a bigger track and i said that was a rattlesnake come right through here sometime last night left that track he could have just been easy it just as easy been right underneath your car here and and you'd stepped right here and, and could have got bit i hate them i just hate rattlesnakes right. so right. What you, else? Did you ever hunt with Cecil Ralston? Yeah, I did. He came down and we coon hunted. I don't know. Well, he came to when he, Cecil was kind of got in trouble. He came down here one winter and kind of hid out, and we hunted him. <laughs> and uh, Cecil was a lot of fun to hunt with. Yeah. You know, he didn't care. You know, uh, I don't think we ever caught anything. We hunted the Magdalenas, you know, and he'd bring some bronc. Cecil, even when he come to coon hunt. He'd bring some bronky dog that he wanted to trail, you know. I'll tell you a Cecil Ralston story one night. We was coon hunting, was up here on the drain ditch, and I was riding in the back of the pickup. There's three or four of us, and I, Jack Caldwell might, might have went with us. And 
Cecil had two big old blue ticks. I mean, a good-looking old slobber-headed blue ticks. And I had a Q-beam, and I was sitting in the back of the pickup. Well, this skunk was in the road there, and they just kind of went around in the pickup. Them old blue ticks was behind us, and they got after him. And the skunk was going back up the road, so I pecked on the cab, and I said, Cecil, your dogs are chasing that skunk. Well, he jumps out, <clears throat> and I'm shining a Q-beam on him. They stopped the pickup, and here's these old blue tick dogs running. Woo, 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 woo. And, and Cecil run along, whooping at him with a chain on that, cussing him. And the damn skunk's right there. And these two old blue ticks. Get out of there! Get out of there! You know? And if he had ever sprayed, and he had his tail thrown up like that, if he had ever stopped, he could have soaked old Cecil, you know? <laughs> got you. I wish I'd had a video of that. Him, that went on for 50 feet up to there, him fighting them old blue ticks. And they were good looking dogs, but they wanted that skunk. But <clears throat> Cecil's another one, like Pat. I was, I had taken him a dog, and uh, <clears throat> I talked to him about. This was, you know, back when I was trying to get yeah. started doing this before, before I ended up selling my place and moving and having all the problems. Uh, and he said, yeah, come on up. He said, we'll hunt. And he said, you can stay at the house and, and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll sit down and let you record me and, and everything. And then it wasn't, I bet it wasn't a month later that he died. Uh, it, it, I hunted some with Urban Muir. Urban Muir was an old man there in Bernalillo. Uh, had a kennels over there and <clears throat> he was kind of a financier for Cecil they'd go to Utah hunting and of course they'd find a dog to buy well Irvin would pay for it you know Irvin had some money yeah <laughs> Cecil Irvin. used to work for my dad did he yeah he ran a backhoe for him really for a while back in he said he walked in the office one day and told my dad said said me and my wife we're gonna start outfitting we're gonna that we're gonna so he, he was a character. Old Cecil was a character. Yeah. Dad know. liked him. Dad, yeah. Dad really liked him. Which is strange for my dad to like those employees. <laughs> <clears throat> but and while cone hunted with some with Hugh, he'd come down here. But he was done past <clears throat> past his hunting days. You know, he wanted to tell stories. You know. And he and and you say he was more of a houndsman. He, he was, was a houndsman. And he, he would go, Tom told me when he was, he was a little boy, they would go back there to Oklahoma and buy those coon dogs. And they'd go hunt with this guy, and that, you've heard of Buzz Anderson, haven't you? He was uh -huh. a blue tick. They'd go to Buzz's, and they knew all he, them. Buzz, he got into plots too, didn't he? I don't know. But he was over here. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's the one who had an accident or no, something. No, that's a different Anderson. Oh, it's a different Anderson. Yeah. Okay. This guy was like in Medill or someplace. So. Okay. <clears throat> but uh, I know who you're thinking about. But Anyway, he would buy a dog from this guy, and he'd go hunt with that guy the next night, and he'd swap that dog he bought for one that guy. And he said, three or four nights there, they might have traded eight or ten dogs. And then they'd... <laughs> They'd go in a little old Volkswagen, a VW, and Tom said, if you don't think that's funny, is have a back seat full of hounds coming back in the summertime, and them hounds slobbering down your collar and all that. In a little VW bug? Yeah, bug. That's what, that that would make a good meme. You might be cool, but you'll never be cool enough to drive a Volkswagen bug with a bunch of hounds in the back. <laughs> but he'd, he'd wind up with two or three brought back. He, in the, huh. In the... <clears throat> But Tom said he was really, he could go and hunt with somebody's dogs, and he he could just pick out the dogs that was doing the work. 
had a and good the, eye. Yeah. And, and the guy that owned them would be confused. And so he would trade him out of that dog. And that was the best dog he had because that guy didn't recognize it, you know. And he'd bring them back. And, he, of course, he'd run bear and stuff. And he had the old-style dogs, you know, the old slobber-headed. Big old-headed, long-eared. But he could catch stuff. But he was really smart about stuff. He was yeah. really, he had a, you know, he was a really a, he figured stuff out. He really had a brilliant mind on him. And him and Pete Hughes, they argued back and forth. You know, there was always about <laughs> Same way with Jack and, and Orwell. They argued. You know, it was a love-hate relationship. <laughs> but Jack was always telling me, giving me little pointers. And I'm sure some of these he had heard. He'd always say, I want to tell you something, Jimmy, this week. I want to tell you something, Jimmy. Sometimes the closer you get to the line, the harder he is to trail. He always had <laughs> And, you know, I was young and naive, and, you know, I thought, well, that's BS, you know. I underneath your breath, yeah, that's BS. Jack, the closer you get to anything, the easier he's to trail. But I figured out what he was talking about, you know. <laughs> Another thing he told me, I want to tell you, I'll tell you something else, Jimmy. When they say there's a lot of lines, there ain't very damn many. And that's true, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about Henry McIntyre? Did you ever get to hunt with him? I or? never hunted with him. I sold him some dogs there. At the end. Henry really liked my dogs. In fact, I bet. he was very complimentary of me. And uh, I sold him, I sold him three, I think. And uh, I gave him a pup, a litter mate to Dora and them that really liked her. And he, and that that adopted son of his, Paul, ran over. She stopped in the road and he ran mm. over. And I guess at a year old, she was just doing wonders, you know. And they, mm -hmm. were, they were these same old dogs. And <clears throat> But I sold him a black dog. You need to get that? Can we stop him? Ah, just That's let thing. it go. Go yeah. talk to him. Well, if you need to answer it, answer there. Never know. This black dog, I called him Jed. And I don't know nothing about Jed. He just showed up in the little village over here. And oh, like, really? He's about a year, about eight, ten months old. He, you know, he could tell he was probably ten months old. And this lady, she couldn't catch him. And she was a school teacher, and she knew my daughter, and they knew I had hounds. So the dog stayed around there about a week. She was feeding him sandwiches, and that got expensive, you know, feeding. And, <laughs> but she finally caught him, so I brought him over here. And he was a natural dog, and I don't know, he was a black and tan dog with a big white spot in his chest like that. And a good dog. I mean, he made a good dog. One of them kind, after about two-year-old, you could just see him every time. I mean, Getting better and better. better. And I sold him to Henry. And Henry had a lot of success with him, but Henry come up and he gave me quite a bit of money for him. And <clears throat> I asked Henry, I said, why do you come up here and pay me money for these dogs like this? And he was done 70 or 72 then. He said, well, I want to tell you something, Jimmy. You know how crusty he was. Oh, man. <laughs> When you're as old as I am, you ain't got very much time to train a dog. Well, I'm there now. I know what he's talking about, you know. They said Henry, if he heard of a good dog somewhere, he'd go try to buy him, wouldn't he? He would. He would. And they, talking to some of the guys who's hunted with him, you know, they say he was a good houndsman. Yes, he was. That he was, he was really good with his dogs. Right. I don't think he was too good with people, Yeah. but he was good with his dogs. But Henry was kind of funny. He'd come here and look through all the dogs, and I had that little Lisa dog. She was in her prime then, probably seven or something. And I told him, that's as good a dog as I ever owned, Henry. 
And then that's the ones he would try to buy when he left. So dogs that wasn't weren't for sale. And then he'd start giving you these big heart sob stories. He said, well, I had a little black and tan dog one time and kind of like that, Jim, since she jumped up in a steel rim storage and drowned. I said, well, you can tell your sob story somewhere else, Henry, but this dog's not leaving here, you know. But, <laughs> but that's the way he was. But he was very complimentary, you know. He said, uh, <clears throat> he said, of all the places I've bought dogs from, Jim, I can take buy your dogs here, take them in the morning and hunt and dump them out, and they'll be just like you told me, and they'll blend right in. And I, and I thought that was a compliment. Yeah. And that Jed dog, he caught several lines, and he never did send me any pictures of him, but... Uh, Henry was kind of at the time starting to get sick then, you know, was he? and he was kind of fading out, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, now a controversial subject. How about these running dogs, these guys, these running walker type dogs that these guys are saying are the real deal to catch lions? And I guess that in some places, you know, in a better How about place, in this country? I don't think they'd work. <clears throat> You know Lloyd Green over in Arizona? Floyd, yeah. Floyd? Yeah, I, yeah. He told me a story about that one time. He said you can't trail, you can't tree something you can't trail. You can't smell, yeah. He said exactly. he got into that. He got caught in that loop. said, I had some good dogs, and I switched over. said, I quit catching anything. He, and I ran, ran into him at Carol Shelley's reunion one year, and I was asking. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'll tell you something. Don't get caught in that trap. He said, you can't tree something you can't trail. Yeah. Well, that... I talked to him, and that's what he had said, that he thought a lot of these female lions had evolved into learning how to just stay out in front of those dogs. Yeah. You know, like I, like I believed for a long time, and I, don't, I might be changing my belief now, but thinking that that lion might be trotting out at six miles an hour, and you're only trailing at two and a half miles an hour, you're not ever going to get yeah. caught up to her. But... I, I don't know if that's true now. I don't know what's true. I don't. I'm, yeah, we never know. I don't, I'm like you now. You're going to have to go out and ask those dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Pat Wantland, we talked about that too. Pat never was into the theory that lions are coons. You know, you people say, oh, this coon got smart and done it. Pat's theory was that animal, that animal you're chasing, just doing that to survive. Whether he. He didn't. He never figured out if he did this, he could avoid evade the dogs. Or Pat said that's bullcrap. Said they're just doing what it is takes to survive. And they can't reason like that. It's right. just that's a, what Pat's theory. Coons was. are going to do what coons do, and lions are going to do what right. lions do. And, and they do it out of survival, and not yeah. because they figured out that they do this little trick. <clears throat> but I don't know. You know, Pat. <clears throat> Like I say, Pat had some different philosophies. Mm -hmm. He looked at things in a different way on a lot of things. And uh, and something else I was going to bring up. Uh, but, yeah, you know, sometimes, like Warner Grin told me one time, said sometimes you just run out of dog power. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. Yes, I I, that's why I was asking you on that 200 miles that you documented hunting, what do you think was the cause of never getting caught up to that line? Everything. I think Sending, changed, yeah, and... Yeah. Man, I trailed one three or four miles one day, and I thought, and I might have just been trotting in front of me. I don't know. You know? See, I, that's what I thought when I had that little female on the other side of the river, and I trailed her. Shoot, I trailed her a bunch. Never could catch her. Just... Yeah. And we did some good trailing, and we had some places where I thought, they got her jumped. We're going right. to catch her. Nope. 
didn't you know and then it would just peter out i mean just i don't know if she doubled back and cut out somewhere else or if the conditions were just good in the bottom of that canyon they could move it real fast don't know don't know i make something up yeah <laughs> jim gearhart told me he's over there at mule creek on an h bar y he told me he was going hunting one day with somebody and the line run across the road they dumped out on it and he said at four o'clock that evening they hadn't caught her and he said to, that he ate them he said at one time if those dogs would have looked up they would have seen her trotting off but he said they'd go good for about three or four hundred yards you'd think they was going to overtake her and then it just backed them boop boop booping and had i don't remember who was with him buddy carsoner or who was but one of his neighbors they called neighbors and brought more dogs he said at four o'clock that evening <clears throat> they had 14 or 15 dogs still going on her and they had seen her three times of course a lot of that country's kind of rolling ridges yeah and she'd lay under a pinyon tree or a cedar tree and you'd find they'd find her bed when they got over there and he said they saw her trot off three or four times them dogs would trail up through there then you got a fresh track and you think well this time they're going to catch her they trailed her all day long and never caught her. Never caught her. Never caught her. Never come close to catching her. He said the closest they came to was that morning, the first time, if the dogs would have looked up, they'd have seen her. You know, and a lot of times at night, when I lay down and rethink it, then, then it comes to me what might have happened. Well, a different a different version. Now, whether it happened or not, but I've got a different perspective. And if I just went that other way, that line went that way. And those dogs were trying to tell me. And... Uh, I know one day when me and Tom was over there and we trailed this, well, this line and we trailed it and it went up the canyon there and I was kind of following the dogs and they went up on a hillside and they made a lose. But before I got there, I saw a dog trying to turn down outside canyon. Well, they got up there and they made a lose and they made, they free cast around there and they found something and they trailed it and it never was a good track. They trailed it back to where we'd started that track. Then I got to thinking, when I was going to those dogs, the dog that was clinkering, I think, trying to turn it out of side canyon, and he was going up this side canyon, you know, and you got one dog going up here and the rest of them going up there. You, you say, well, what's going on when you ought to just keep your mouth shut? I made him come on and go with them. Got he his was way. right, I think. See, I think <laughs> the line had went up there on that side of that hill, and, and used it for a lookout or something, came back down and turned out the side canyon. And I think he was right. And I let them other dogs talk me in. Mm. And that was a track where the line had came in that I'd started three hours earlier down there, you know. So we never know, especially you and I, you know, we hunt this country and some of this country don't leave a track, Brett. I don't care. Uh, oh, some of this country too, Brett. I've got theories. Some of it holds scent better than others. Now, I call it skippy tracks, and I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And i tell you something else I've had trouble with is them burns. When they go through them burns, I think that carbon or that ash on the ground absorbs tracks. And another place I've had trouble with is crossing some roads sometimes. I just... Oh, yeah. Just crossing roads. I think it's the fumes off these gas engines. And, but, you know, I've always contended then this is one another one of my phrases that you cannot have too much nose on a hound in this country and i'm talking cold nose and people say i don't like that dog because he's cold nose well i want all the nose i can get on him because to me nose on a hound is just like speed in a horse you'll miss it when you need it the most yeah 
you don't have it, there's nothing to make up for it. Right. That old famous dog of mine got me through many loses because he could trail more than they could, you know. And then another thing, uh, he and Clinker both, especially Clinker, I called it track savvy, but Pat Wantland said there's, that's not, no dog is track savvy. I'd, I'd make a lose, you know, and they'd mill around there and ball around and do here and do there. Directly old Clinker would just pick up and go somewhere way up on the side of the hill and restart it. And I told Pat Wantland, I told him that story. I said, I think he's track savvy. And he said, no, he ain't. There ain't no such thing as track savvy. <laughs> he said what he done was he winded that track and went up there. He smelt it. So here again, it's their nose. They see the yeah, their nose. He, something, the wind brought a current or something to him. He went up there, maybe 100 yards up there, Brett, and started yeah. Ooh, ooh, here the dogs go to him, you know, and here you back, but you messed up 20 or 30 minutes here because of... Was he, Clinker, do you think he was the best dog you ever had? I think he was the most rounded dog I ever had. Yeah. You know, in some ways, he could trail a cold, him and Famous would get into them matches, see who could bark on the coldest old line scrape. That was a competition. So I never hunted them together. Oh, you kept them separate. I figured out hunting, but Dharma... The blue tick that was a sister to Susie, she was like a backup quarterback to either one of them. She could do it too. She was just as, she wasn't, she was better, I thought, with Famous than Clinker, but they really worked. But it was, but if I put all three of them together, it was usually Clinker over here and Dharma and Famous doing this and their thing. But, you know, I, I've often, and I see why uh, football uh, teams, only have one quarterback there's some to that Brett <laughs> yeah. and I've always contended you can let me go hunt with anybody and I can take one dog out of their pack and leave him home and then change the complexion of that pack and I'm oh I'm, yeah I believe that I can I've seen I've hunted with people if they didn't have that one dog oh they were all worried about it. but you know dogs have this kind of bond or uh, and I can't explain it they're always trying to move up in position. They're always trying to be number mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to be the captain of the boat or the pilot of the ship, whatever you... They're, like Jim, my friend Jimmer says, if you lose one dog, another one's going to take his place, you know. And I kind of believe that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Makes sense. And uh, I work a lot of different combinations of dogs. There's a lot of things I don't like to see in dogs. One thing I really don't like is hitchhiking off another dog. That's a pet peeve of mine, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'll split that up. You you move that dog and hunt it with yeah, another pack, another, another set of dogs. How many dogs do you like to hunt at a time? You know, here lately I've been taking ten because you don't train. <laughs> you know, you don't train they dogs. They don't learn anything out on there. a chain. Yeah, yeah. And the, the day you leave them all at home is the day you catch something that you should have had them three pups there. You know. Do you have enough collars, or do you just take yeah. some without collars? No, I got thirteen collars. Do you, know. you really? Yeah, but. I, you know what happened? I lost some collars. I had 10, and I, I'd i been hunting that day, and I took some collars off or something. I sat on the pickup, and I drove out and went around that curve, and they threw off on the road with the boy that works for Chris over there, Spanish boy, came by and picked him up. But he never told me about it for two or three days. <laughs> so in the meanwhile, I'd ordered three more collars, so that's why I wound so up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I like the 10 or 11, you know, dogs, because I, I always split them up, Brett. There's about three or four dogs in there that'll do it. 
And then you got those younger dogs that, you know, is kids getting experience. And then there's always one or two I call companion dogs. They're probably going to stay with you. And uh, if you get to the tree and, and they got something treed, they got to see it, you know. So I never worry about it. You know, I wish. <laughs> like Henry said, that, that that dog, he's not doing nothing yet, but he's not doing nothing wrong either. <laughs> you know, and I talked to Wes Henderson about this one one time. I said, Wes said he had had 13 dogs trailing this line. And, and I knew he and David had taken a lot of dogs. And I said, Wes, why don't you take 13 dogs with you? He thought a minute and scratched his head. He said, well, it's like this. Wouldn't you have th rather have 13 noses looking for it rather than three? And I said, yeah, I never thought of it like that. You know, and there's some to that. But, you know, yeah. the dogs were basically pretty straight. And he depended on them. And you know, and you know, just because he's not one of your top dogs, don't mean he won't find a lose or something. You don't pick it up. In fact, sometimes if you notice some of your <clears throat> your pickups or loses, some young dog may have it, and he won't know it. And I had a young dog one time. I called him Razor, and he would find those loses, and he'd drop his tail between. He's a big old pup. He'd put his tail between his legs and go up through there, not saying a word. And I got to watching him, and I'd say. That dog's got it, and I'd call it, come here, do uh, Dolly, or come here, Freckles, and I'd whistle, and they'd see him, and run up, and he's got, woo, woo, here we go. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just never know which yeah. one's going to pick up a lose, you know. And I don't know, it's, it's a game, you know. I mean, uh, nobody's got it figured out, Brett. No, no. And uh, some of these guys will lead you to believe that they're the greatest and best and all that, but, yeah, they don't, you know, but. And we just do it for the fun with the sport, you know, it's makes it. But yeah. There's so much I could talk on this, but I don't know what you want to talk about. But uh, No, that's it. I mean that we those things, you know, some of the oh, I gotta ask for for Rick Owens. He 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 said you need to ask them about like I asked you where you came from and everything. Where were your folks from? What 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 they do in Oklahoma? Were they farmers or you know my dad was a veteran, and my mother was a, she was just a local gal. My dad would move from northeast Oklahoma down there, Salazar someplace, and they moved to the, the Kaimishi Mountains. And this was in the day when they cut ties for tracks. They were tie mills all over that country. Oh, okay. He was a big old strapping kid, and then he went to the war and got shut up, and he shot up, and he moved back there. And he had some disability, and he had married. My grandmother on my mother's side was an Indian. And oh, her okay. her folks that came over the Trail of Tears when they had displaced them from the southeast part oh, wow. of the United States. Now, she was born in Arkansas, I think. And uh, <clears throat> my granddad on my mother's side was a big, tall guy, and he was raised up around Muscle Shoals, Arkansas, up there, where there's a big resort now. And he said he grew up right there where there's a big resort on there. And my grandmother was a little squatty Indian. Indian lady. Yeah. And uh, never said much. Cheyenne or? I don't know. If she would have probably been more like a Choctaw, or one of the okay. civilized tribes, you know, oh, yeah. getting moved sure. over the Trail of Tears. Yeah. They, you know, they displaced all those Indians out of, well, they never got all the Seminoles rounded up. They're still in Florida, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. That Hard Rock Casino was a Seminole-owned deal. And, yeah. But some Seminoles got moved to Oklahoma and the five civilized tribes. And I don't know what, <coughs> you know, it's part of history we don't know much about. Yeah. 
<laughs> but my dad said when he moved to that part of the Oklahoma, it was a wonderful country. Oh, do you need to get by? We're just almost done. We've about exhausted everything. Everything's just going to turn into lies now. So <laughs> that's fine. He said it was a, and it's a brushy stone gun now, and that's what you know is hard to just uh, say. He said it was big open ridges with big timber on, big pine and big oh, wow. oak. And then the tie mills, and this was during the war, about the time of the war, those tie mills came in and and. They cut all the big timber out, the big white oak, the big red oak, post oak, yeah. whatever, the big pine, and made cross ties on the mm-hmm. war. Well, what came back was an, a thicker underbrush, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said it's completely it changed completely. And I guess you know, those those evolutions take hundreds of years to go back to original state, you know. But yeah. the orig- but it was pretty good grass country. It was you know a native grass grew on them open ridges, but now it's just choked up. You know it's a jungle like deal. Yeah. But and another question. I mean, I know you ride. You prefer a mule over a horse. It doesn't matter whatever gets me back to the trailer without getting. I mean, but you... I prefer mules because mainly they're so much more sure-footed, and you know if you get a good one, you got something in there. Tough, tough, and you, and, and you know I get to where I get to feeling sorry for a horse. For yep. that. I yeah, really I do. I got a soft spot in my horse, my heart for a horse. Mm-hmm. And I've got two good horses down there raised. They're good rock crushers. I mean, they're they've been there. They get around as good as a mule, but yet they're not as smooth. They're more jerky, you know, and especially getting they get to scrambling more or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <clears throat> The only really really good horse I've had. Well, I've had some good horses. The Mustangs I did, I got it were really good mountain horses. Really, really good. They slowed it down. They geared it down. They didn't speed it up. Picked their way through. Yeah, and they dropped that head and push on the breast collar and climb. They, that little I call him Scarhead. He could climb. His head would be right there. I mean, he could just just like and a he mule. was and he was moving up the mountain like a mule. Yeah, just like a mule. Pulling his way Big up bone, instead of hard, like yeah. a horse will grab their butt. Right. Darling. Big bone, hard footed, never put a shoe on him, and he was really good. But I ride mules, you know, and I've worn a lot of mule shoes in the last 25 years. I really have. But I've had some good mules, and really never had a bad mule, but what I considered bad, you know. Might. They're mules. They're mules. You never know. <laughs> no. One day to the next. You told know. a friend of mine, don't ever feel sorry for a mule, <laughs> he'll take advantage of you. You know, Quentin down there in the Gila. He was that way. He said, never feel sorry for a mule or a hound. said, they'll come back to make a liar out of you. you know? <laughs> and Quentin Knowles. Yeah. Did you know him? <laughs> no, sir. I never met him. I, I read the book about him. There's a book. He uh, was a character. That lady wrote that book mm-hmm. about him. She's a school teacher or something, wasn't she? Yeah, or? back east, you know. Something. She was fascinated yeah. with him, I think. Nancy Cogginshell. Cog- yeah. And then... Uh, Pete Hughes has a book. Yeah. And uh, Terrell Shelley has a book. Now that Warner Glenn has a book. Right. And, uh, of course, Van Johnson has a book. Right. Henry McIntyre doesn't book. He doesn't have a book. He needs a book. Well, you know, they had started on two different books, you know, and uh, they had the one, uh, a short one that they they give away at his funeral, I guess, and I've been a- unable to get it. And the guy that he took, 
hunting quite a bit that was writing a book. I'm trying to think his name. I've got his number in there. He's been working on a book about Henry. And oh, he, really? And he's got all of Henry's old photographs. Oh, he lives at Bernie, Texas. Bernie? 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 B-O-E-R-N-E? B-O-E-R-N-E right. Something like that, yeah. I've got his number in there. And yeah, it might share that with me one of these okay. days. Okay. And I've called him and called him, and then I stay in touch with him. Pretty nice guy? Yeah, he is. But he's 80, he's be 83 or 84 now, and he's never finished the book. And I've told him, oh, man, I'll buy one. And yeah. he, he's got all the pictures of, of Henry's, too. Just Most, that alone would make a good picture book, mm-hmm. huh? And Orville Fletcher, I mean, he had a, nobody ever, he never wrote a book, or his daughter they had never that finished, website or something. They kind of started one. There were some short stories. Did you ever read them? Yeah, on the, on the internet yeah. I did, yeah. And uh, Hugh wouldn't, you put a recorder down at Hugh's, he'd clam up like a, yeah, he'd shut up, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's it's hard. A lot of the guys, I have a hard time, even you. I had a hard time talking you into it, but I think it's necessary. I think I think things are changing and times are changing. And, <clears throat> and uh, I mean, what do you think the future? I don't know what the future. I think I see bleak things on the horizon. I really do. I think our dog days are numbered. Our whole mindset of our voting public has changed. I think if a lot of this stuff ever gets put on a ballot, we're out of business, you know. Yeah. But well, if we can make it through this November, we'll be good. You will do be doing good. Because <laughs> I got a feeling it's not going to be nice. I know it. And I guess when it, we're outlawed, I'll be the outlaw, Brett. You can come and interview an outlaw then. Well, you know, I basically said the same thing. I don't might not be able to put 10 dogs on the ground yeah. but i might be able to have three good dogs that'll trail lion <laughs> and i'll just be taking my dogs for a walk right <laughs> but you know we're fortunate we live in a country where we are an area we can still do this there's areas we couldn't do what we're doing right now brett you got i know i have a lot of guys who send me messages you know because i have the social media presence you know talk about the wide open spaces they said we just like to watch your videos because see the wide open space can't believe that you can just go like that yeah and uh you know of course and then having a year-round lion season you know what not that you want to kill lions but you don't want to be illegal out there hunting you know riding your mule and putting your dogs on the ground and they uh yeah and we got so much public land you know and that's and that's a tight uh tight line to walk between my rancher friends and my public land friends. Right. I mean, a lot of ranchers don't don't really like public land. And uh, I'm glad we got it. Be I honest. am too cuz it gives me a place to go yeah. without having to ask permission. <laughs> Most of us are the same. We're kind of yeah. free spirits. We don't want to just right. we want to do our own thing. And I've got some opportunities this winter to hunt some country that I've always wanted to hunt, you Good. know. And but. Yeah, I, I man, I was really looking forward to this year, and then my man retired that worked with me for 25 years, and then uh, I picked up a bunch of work. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's a you got the same attitude about it that I do. You know, if I was a good businessman, I'd say, oh, good, I can make yeah. a bunch of money. Now I sit there and say, oh no, it's just going to take away from my hunting. <laughs> work gets in the way of hunting, doesn't it? Got to have, got to have the money. I mean, either you got time. Or you got money. I don't. It's hard to have both. Jim, thank you very much. I appreciate it. If this it, didn't Brett. come out, we're gonna have to do it again. So That's you better okay. practice. Yeah, we practice then. But and then you listen to it, and then, and then whatever you think we missed, 
get you a piece of paper out, take a note, and I'll be back here in about three or four months. Okay. We'll, we'll change our stories then. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, bro.